Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth Fintress, and you are listening to episode 29 of the Simply 127 podcast. Today, I have a conversation with Jason Johnson. He is the National Director of Church Ministry Initiatives for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. Oh, yeah. Always love hanging out and happy to be here. Yeah. Well, first, I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit more about you, your work, your family, kind of the 30,000-foot view, and then we'll we'll go from some different directions from there. Yeah, for sure. So um, m- most of my background is, is church-based ministry, church staff, uh, which um, evolved into church planting, actually, and uh, being a lead pastor uh, in that regard, and then working to help plant other churches and it was it was there actually in our church plant that my wife and I became foster parents, and a lot of people in our church actually became foster parents, um, and it just became a really big deal in our church, and um, uh, just began to write about our experience and speak about it and work with other churches in, in Houston uh, in terms of how they were going to engage in foster care in the city, and mm-hmm. just developed a real passion for. Um, working with churches um, and helping really them think through how they're going to engage this part of their city and their community strategically and effectively. And um, that evolved into me actually stepping out of our church, leading our church to working with an organization in Houston for about a year uh, where I worked with churches in Houston and, and around Texas. And then from there, it actually evolved into me I'm coming on staff with Christian Alliance for Orphans, CAFO, where I get to work with churches and organizations and networks all around the country um, to really help them think through how they're going to engage, make sure they have the resources they need, the connections they need. And so that's a lot of the work that I get to do. And that comes a lot of um, encouraging foster and adoptive families or those that are in the trenches. Um, And so my wife and I, we have four daughters. One of them came to us through foster care uh, and um, has been adopted. We've had other little girls come and go. And um, the the last chunk of our story has been um, actually working with young moms. So we've got a, um, she was 17 when we met her. She's now 21 with a few little ones and she's a part of our family and um, just walking alongside them and being family together. So that's kind of the makeup of our family now. That's great. And that really has kind of shaped the work that you do with CAFO. I'd love for you just to talk a little bit more about your involvement in, you know, engaging with the church and helping the whole community of the church care for foster families. I know I've seen some diagrams and different things that you've created. So I just love some to know some more about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, one of the messages that we... um, that we believe is really the the foundation of a lot of what we do is this idea that everyone can do something. We're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all capable of doing something. And that's not just pulled out of thin air. We believe that's true biblically and theologically, um, where um, the New Testament refers to how the body of Christ interacts with one another and engages with each other like a physical body. Some are ears and eyes and hands and feet, right? So different parts coming together for the same purpose. Um, But we all have different functions. And so some of us are ears, some eyes, some hands. Um, That means the the opportunities to engage in 
and coming alongside families and children and communities um, are full of creativity and diversity um, uh, and not just locally, but globally and globally mm-hmm. and locally and not just open our homes to bring children in, but also, hey, what would it look like for for us to be the best ear that we can be? And that might mean not opening our home to bring children in mm-hmm. and instead wrapping around and supporting those families in unique and creative ways. And so, you know, you know this, and I, I actually think we're, we're really beginning to move beyond this and kind of the landscape that, that we operate in. But, you know, even a couple of years ago, I would, I would say when most people heard foster care or adoption or orphan care, their minds immediately went to, I have to bring a child into my home. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't feel called to do that. So I guess I can't do anything. And, you know, so much of the work that we're trying to do is to pull that back and say, oh, no, 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 no. Let's look at it from a much broader lens. Everyone yeah. can do something. And there are no insignificant parts, right? Um, we really work hard to get kind of work with church leaders in terms of how they communicate and how they encourage to really remove words like just or only, right? So when I hear a family say, you know, we're, we're, we're just bringing meals, like, yeah, I say, <laughs> oh, no, 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 you're not just or only doing anything. Or we've, we've only adopted one or we've, we've only fostered yeah. a couple. I say, no, there are no insignificant parts. Um, everyone has a unique role to play for this thing to work the way that it needs to. Yeah. We've talked a lot about that, you know, with 127 and even I was short-sighted, I feel like in the beginning thinking that God was going to allow me to connect fish farmers with people in Uganda who want to learn how to grow fish. But, you know, that God has gifted people on both sides of the pond and and we kind of get to be in that interesting seat of connecting and equipping both sides of people to work together better. So I think there's some similarities there in what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and also working with churches who, you know, every church I've ever encountered, and, and I mean that literally, I, um, has some kind of sense that, hey, we need to be doing something globally and we need to be kind of doing something locally, right? Um, now, in some cases, that's, that's more efficient and it's a little more strategic than in other cases, but generally speaking, churches feel, you know, we need to kind of be doing something in terms of outreach or justice or mission work in mm-hmm. these two spaces. And, and a lot of the work that we get to do is to step in and help them kind of identify what are the best practices and principles to engage globally, how to come alongside global organizations and what we, you know, what that means financially, what that means in terms of partnership, what that means in terms of outcomes that we want to help them work towards in terms of how kids are being cared for and families. Right. But then also kind of looking back to what's the local application to that as well. How are we also caring for vulnerable communities and families effectively with best practices um, mm-hmm. in our own backyard? And how can we help bridge that gap um, so that they're not disconnected and they're not haphazard, if you will? <laughs> kind of like, well, that's, you know, that's our missions ministry over there and that's our homeless ministry over there and yeah. that's our foster care ministry over there. And, and we say, actually, these, all of these things are so much more interconnected. Um, than them being so siloed and separated. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm curious um, for us, we've kind of discovered sometimes we need to take a step back and what we call the theology of orphan care, theology of justice, where people don't just need practical, you can mow yards, you can give meals. It's like they almost need a more um, a firmer biblical foundation of what God has to say about caring for the vulnerable and why we should be passionate about that. So do you spend some time talking about that with the curriculum? So that would be my soapbox. You've just constructed it <laughs> yes. for me. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try not to spend too much time on it. But, um, you know, one of my favorite kind of thought leaders and, and kind of business communicators out there that many might be familiar with uh, has built a whole industry around this question of, you know, what's, what is your why? Yep. And, and he says, um, you know, we've kind of got three paradigms, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And oftentimes we lead with, okay, here's what we're going to do and how you need to do it. Now go. <laughs> and we lose sight of the why, right? And, and I, I think for us, especially in the Christian context, that the why is the center of everything that we do. It drives mm-hmm. everything we do and it sustains everything that we do. Uh, and, and so what is our why um, theologically in, in, in terms of what we do and how we do it? Why do we open our homes to kids in foster care? Why do we open our homes to vulnerable families to help prevent them from losing their kids? Why do we engage globally? Why do we invest? Why do we give? Uh, I believe, I'm convinced that it's a matter of discipleship. It's mm-hmm. not just a matter of giving people the what and the how. Um, you know, and if you motivate people enough um, in the moment, They'll do some what's and how's uh, for a little while, um, yeah. <clears throat> but I'm convinced if you if you ground them in a deep and compelling why, they'll do some what's and how's for a long time. It's just going to become a part of who they are because of what they believe. And and so historically, in this orphan care, foster care, adoption space, so much of our theological messaging has been around the theology of our adoption. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll never, I'll actually never forget the first conference, um, that, uh, I went to, my wife and I went to with some people in our church. That was actually the title of the conference basically was, um, and it was a a fantastic conference. It was a catalytic moment for a lot of people in our church. Um, uh, but it was all about kind of the theology of adoption. And I, I found myself sitting there thinking, okay, how does this translate into foster care, which the goal is not necessarily to adopt. How does this translate into mobilizing people you know, globally, where in the majority of the cases, the goal is not necessarily to adopt? Right. Um, and, and so not to do away with that theology, I think it's beautiful, but maybe to expand it a little bit and, and say, you know what? What if adoption isn't just about signing papers, but what if it's about opening your, your family and your home uh, to others, to the extent that they experience the benefits and the privileges of being loved by you and, and supported by you. And, um, and, and you may not ever sign papers for them, right? Uh, um, but also kind of thinking through, the, I think there's something that kind of predicates God's adoption of us. It, and, and what I love to focus most of my time on when I'm working with leaders and communicating this is actually 
of course, the beautiful theology that we've been brought into the family of God through adoption. But something happened in order for that to happen. And what happened is that God moved towards us. Like God didn't say, hey, I'm way over here and um, I need you to kind of get your act together and come over here with me. And then you can be in my family. God said, hey, we're separated, but I'm going to move towards you. And I'm going to get in. I'm going to kind of get involved in your brokenness. And then I want you to be a part of my family. And this is what we call the theology of incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's it's um, God with through us. all year long. Yeah. But it's this idea that God moves towards. He mm-hmm. literally Jesus wrapped himself up in our brokenness. He wrapped himself up in our flesh. He was broken by our brokenness so that we don't have to be broken anymore. And so I think um, in increasing measure, the more that we lay the, the theology of, of incarnation, the idea that God has moved towards us in deep, sacrificial ways. He has engaged in our brokenness so that we don't have to be broken anymore. Um, we raise our hands in worship to that, right? Um, and yet, all too often, our churches are filled with people who are raising our hands in celebration to that and using those same hands to kind of push the brokenness and the uncomfortableness of other people's mess away. Um, and what we want to do is, is create a discipleship cultures in our church that say, look, we celebrate this idea that God moved towards us in Jesus, and we demonstrate that as well. Now, we don't all demonstrate that in the same way because everyone can do something, not all the same, but we all, we all demonstrate incarnation. And um, that could mean we're going to open our homes. That could mean we're going to invest deeply in some global communities. It could mean that we're going to wrap around families in our church. Um, but the, but why do we do that? Because of what Jesus has done for us. He moved towards us. And it, it kind of, um, I'll stop after this. I <laughs> it kind of, um, it's a paradigm shift because we are all subtly and sometimes overtly kind of trained and told as we grow up uh, how to interact with uncomfortable and hard things. Uh, and basically we're kind of told, Hey, if you see something broken or uncomfortable or scary, you need to move away from it and isolate from it as quickly as you oh. can. Um, your goal in life is to set up a life where you can pretend like hard things and difficult things and broken things don't exist. And then the gospel kind of flips that paradigm and that script and says, actually, we, we are the kind of people who move towards. Um, And and, it kind of gives us this posture of gratitude too. So you're operating out of this humility that it's not just, you know, we talk about the white, the white savior complex, but it's like, because of what Jesus has done, we're able to give. And I think that is a beautiful picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, it's not out of guilt or manipulation or any of that. It's, and it really, I'm convinced the gospel changes the questions that we ask ourselves. In particular, it's no longer, why would I do that? Like, why would I move towards hard? Why would I invest? Why would I give generously? Why would I, and it, and now the new question is, gosh, why would I not? I mean, in, in light of what I believe and what I celebrate, 
Like, why would I not? And that's yeah. a completely different question that we want our people asking. Yeah, that's a good segue. I think I mentioned to you this season on the Simply 127 podcast, we're talking about how the gospel is central to caring for the vulnerable. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, you know, just common listeners out there, it is not a natural connection that people make. So they see, you know, secular people doing good things mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. even with foster care, that's just the same is true. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about not just being motivated, but how the gospel is central to this work of caring for the vulnerable. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Um, caring, you know, foster care is not a uniquely Christian thing. There are plenty of non-Christians that are foster parents, you know, issues of justice and mercy. There's, there's, but there's a different why maybe behind why the Christian community and the church engages. Um, But the why isn't just what compels us. Um, I think it frames the entire journey actually. Um, So it's not like this, we're going to use the gospel to trick you into this and then good luck figuring out the rest kind of thing. You know, it's why is it central? Well, because it, it changes the perspectives that we have and the paradigms we hold. So for example, um, in, in the world that I live in, which is a largely kind of foster care oriented world, um, Mm. the gospel changes the posture that we have going into foster care, which is, um, my goal here is not to get a kid for my family. My goal here is to give my family for a kid in their family, in their community, and whatever whatever um, is attached to the story of that child. My goal is not to get, it's to give, and I believe that's a gospel posture. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of the white savior complex. Well, I think the gospel uh, crucifies that, mm-hmm. right? It, um, so it's, it's central to not just why we do this, but it's central to how we do it the postures that we have, um, and then it informs what we do. So going back to that why, what, how paradigm, the gospel is central in all of those. Um, it, it is what drives us. It is what defines and sets the parameters around how we do what we do, uh, and then ultimately helps us make the decisions on why, you know, on, on what we do. Um, uh, and, uh, it also sustains us. This, I think this is a crucial point as well. In those kind of dark night of the soul moments, which will come, mm-hmm. uh, or those those moments where we're questioning, why do we keep doing this? Like life would be so much easier if we just didn't do difficult things, right? Like it would be so <laughs> much easier if we just kind of coasted through. And so there's going to come those moments for, for anybody on, on, on any part of the spectrum where they, they are kind of, they ask themselves the question, why do I keep doing this? Why does our family keep doing this? It would be so much easier if fill in the blank. And when the gospel is central to our narrative and to our perspective, we're then able in those moments to preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind us of what's true. This is why we do it. And, and remind us, it reminds us that the gospel doesn't guarantee that anything will ever be easy, but it does guarantee that everything will be worth it hmm. in the end. Um, That's and, a good distinction. Yeah. And, and so the gospel is, 
is a, is central to not just why we do what we do, but it it sustains us and it's the thread which is interwoven throughout the entire journey of what it is we're doing and how we're doing it. As you're traveling around and coaching and teaching, what are some ways that you really emphasize the importance of community? A couple of things. Um, that community is not an option. Again, going back to the idea of we are part of the body of Christ. We were not intended to do life alone nor created to do life alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find a lot of people who engage in this space who need good community around them almost still a little bit guilty for needing it. Um, like, hey, you know, we, we were the ones that decided to become foster parents. I don't want to burden other people with that. And, and so yeah. part, of, part of the training with community is first addressing people who need that community and helping them kind of get out of their head a little bit. Hey, the fact that you feel like you need it shouldn't make you feel guilty. It's, it's actually completely right and biblical. Yeah that you need it. Like, it's not wrong that you're thinking that it's a hundred percent right that you're thinking that. Uh, and, and then another, a little more pressing kind of like, um, dig a little bit. I don't mean it like I want to dig at them, but like <laughs> convicting thing is, Hey, look, um, if you deny other people the opportunity to come around you and support you, then you are taking away from them the opportunity to do their something to be the ear or to be the leg that God has created them to be. Um, And so I actually, in working with organizations and churches, we say, look, that kind of training and, and thinking needs to go way upstream. Like not, okay, now that you're a foster parent or now that you're an adoptive parent, here's some things you need to know. Like, no, like we're talking like meeting one, like orientation class. Look, if you're going to make it through this journey and our goal is that you do and that you thrive, you are going to have to think this way about community. So that's kind of speaking to the ones who need it now, to the ones who might actually be that community. Um, uh, again, going back to the idea of, of empowering people to find their something and encouraging them to be creative. Um, hey, what unique resources, business, um, passions, experiences has God given you that maybe you can use for the good of others? Um, and so I've seen you know, business owner, restaurant owners say, hey, we're going to deliver food for free to families who take in new placements. I've seen counselors offer services or um, business owners who owned like uh, like trampoline parks say, you know, hey, we're going to like, if you're a foster family, just come for free. Like, here's your, your card. Like, uh, I, I've, I've seen college students babysit, uh, you know, just Let's be creative and uh, obviously bringing meals. And and so the message to them is, look, be creative and understand there are no insignificant parts in the body. You are not allowed to say, oh, I only I just bring meals. Mm -hmm. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. Um, It's far more than you could ever measure or calculate. And then let me say this. Um, I actually just heard another story about this uh, this morning from a church leader and and his story was uh, we had nine families in our church who were foster families 18 months ago. Now we have 31 families in our church who are foster families and we have 250 people involved in support teams that are wrapping around them. Uh, and we said, we asked him, 
like how like how what do you attribute that to and he said obviously there's a number of factors he said but the thing that we hear most from the new from the the new families who became foster families is this is they said you know what we saw all these people wrapping around and supporting these families in our church and we decided you know what uh if we become foster family, a foster family, we're going to be really well supported by our church. So let's do it. That's right? incredible. Yeah. And so here's what we keep hearing over and over again, is that really good community around families actually acts as, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it, <laughs> acts as a, really, as a really powerful recruitment tool for other mm-hmm. people uh, because they see man, if this is what it's like to be supported by community in our church, then yeah, I can do it because I know I'm going to be supported and cared for. It makes it not so scary. (laughs) It's not so scary. Absolutely. And and you get to see, um, you know what, these are normal people who who are saying, look, we're not superheroes. We're not like the spiritual elite. Like we're just normal people finding our something Mm -hmm. and doing it. And that's another kind of big idea that we try to communicate a lot is I don't want this to be a special thing in your church. Um, And I know that sounds strange, but I I don't want it to be a special thing that special people do. And we talk about it only at special times of the year. I want Mm -hmm. it to be a normal thing in our church that normal people in our church do. And it's just normal to see it and it's Mm -hmm. normal to hear about it. Um, And so one of the things that we see happen when community wrap, it wraps around people is it just kind of increases the normalcy level, right? So there's a lot of power on an, in a number of different levels in community coming around us. But the, the central point is you can't do it alone. If you begin to feel like I really need support, there's nothing wrong with you. There's actually something completely right with you. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then creativity and empowerment for others to find there's something uh, and then I think when all of that kind of gels together, God uses that to really bring movement in ways that maybe we otherwise would not have been able to, to um, see. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jason. And we really appreciate the work that you and KFO does to um, connect, keep us all connected and just appreciate this conversation very much. Oh, absolutely. So fun to hang out. Thanks so much for tuning into this conversation today. Jason has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom, and also just really appreciated the resources and the recommendations that he made. We'll make sure we put some of those in the show notes. You can always find our show notes at 127worldwide.org forward slash simply 127. Probably my favorite part of this conversation today was this idea of normalizing, caring for the vulnerable, normalizing adoption and foster care within our church communities, and just collaborating together, everyone using their own giftings and talents and the and sacrificially of their time to work together in obedience to what God has called us to do. That it's not this elite superhero Christian thing that God calls some people to do, but it's all of us working together as brothers and sisters in Christ 
to to walk in obedience to that. And so um, I love just that the picture, the idea of that, and also the practical examples of he that he gave of you know real life people who are doing this day in and day out. So I hope that you were blessed by the conversation. Would love to hear some feedback. If you have any questions or comments, always feel free to reach out to us. And then one last thing I wanted to share that I'm excited about is Chris Omondi will join us on our next episode. Chris is one of our, um, he works with one of our ministry partners in Kenya called Swahiba Networks. And he's, he's going to share his testimony with us and how he really was a product of the ministry and the investment that Swahiba has made in the slums and the impact that that had on Chris's life. So I'm looking forward to that and just hope that you'll tune in next time. Thanks so much.